I don't fear death, <laughs> not really, but I, f I fear regret, right? Like when I'm on, on my deathbed, I don't want to regret my life. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. Um, today we are talking with Andy again. So we actually recorded this right after the last episode, but we just had like too much stuff we wanted to talk with Andy about. <laughs> Um, so you don't, you don't have to introduce yourself. I feel like we can just get into it. First, can you just tell us really quick what your whole pitch was for the, like for this actual episode? <laughs> yeah, I'm working on a show, Life in Games. And again, uh, plug in the show again, but, um, you know, my whole, the whole premise of the show is to share the stories of people who have created their own career paths in the gaming world, right? You know, these are not people who have just found their way into AAA gaming studios like, you know, Ubisoft and EA and those kinds of things. Um, they are the people, and, and they're not the ones, the super famous YouTubers and Twitch streamers either, right? They are the ones that are comf comfortably making an income doing what they enjoy, which is doing something related to the gaming industry. Um, and so I've come to this because I've realized, you know, the internet has really democratized how we create businesses and mm -hmm. how we can make money. Um, and it really does empower us to really do what we want to do as long as we, you know, work hard at it uh, and be smart about it. Uh, you know, it, it's the internet's just so powerful. And all these services that have come out are very powerful in their own way. And as long as you take advantage of those services, like YouTube, uh, Instagram, TikTok even, right? Um, you know, there's a path forward for you. As long as, you know, as long, there's some caveats, of course, right? You can't be a millionaire. Um, yes, well, you can. Statistically, you probably won't. But, <laughs> you know, what's wrong with spending the next 10 years playing Pokemon all day long and making money just playing Pokemon? Or being an artist and just drawing, like, for six hours a day on a commission that you're selling for, X amount of money for the piece, but then also making money while you live stream it, right? Um, so all these things kind of, uh, I wanted, I've learned of all these things and I really think it's, I think it's really important to share this because there are so many times where a lot of us kind of just go through the motions of life and the motions of, you know, the hit those regular milestones of our career paths based on what our parents have told us and what society says. Um, and I think it's important to take a step back and reevaluate, like, what do we want for ourselves and what do we need to eat? And, you know, what do we need in terms of food and clothing and extra fun stuff? Um, and real, really evaluate, like, what kind of choices should I make here? Because at the end of the day, right, like, um, it's something we didn't talk about in my last, in, in the last episode was like, I don't fear death. <laughs> Not really but I, f I fear regret, right? Like when I'm on, on my deathbed, I don't want to regret my life. And so it's like, would I have been happy just working and consulting forever and, you know, making millions? Um, or would I have been happier making the things I wanted to make and just live within my means and live with, you know, as long as my family is taken care of, right? I'm not gonna, you know, you know and I'll be happy with, my life decisions, as long as I got to do what I wanted to do and they're taken care of and they saw that I was happy, 
um, you know, because for them, you know, that's probably everything to me, making sure that they don't suffer because of the externalities of me being miserable, <laughs> probably. What's really interesting to me about this whole notion of like all these people who kind of make their living off of gaming is that that is such a classic like when people imagine like the whatever you know automated dystopia of the future where no one has any jobs everyone gaming is exactly what they imagine that would be <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean yeah of like oh we're just wasting our lives away like what but like actually like there's people who are who are totally like making perfectly fulfilling careers off of it but i i mean it it does like you know you were talking about it seems like that could also then perversify it in a way that any any you know my for example my boyfriend is a musician right and so now he's like you know trying to do music as his job and it like makes it worse right <laughs> oh i mean do you feel like you I mean, it doesn't sound like you're trying to like game professionally, but you're trying to do stuff around that space. Does it seem like that has has like had the similar phenomenon happen to you where it's like, you know, ruining it for you? A, a little bit. Yeah. So <clears throat> when I tried to get into these different things, um, it did suck the fun out of everything. So like when I, I tried streaming for a little bit and I really I do enjoy streaming, but then it mm -hmm. really took the fun out of, out of the game. What did so, you play? So I was I first started with Final Fantasy X. Um, uh -huh. And I was trying to differentiate myself by doing like the story analysis streamer. Well, no one cares, right? Like all the stuff I was like <laughs> talking about, like I was talking about narrative structure and um, psychological and moral needs of these characters and how to write a good antagonist. And yeah, sounds like a good YouTube video, <laughs> yeah. but not really a good stream. Yeah, it'd be a good like five minute YouTube video, but not like an eight hour stream, right? So like. <laughs> I mean, I had fun playing the game, but it, it was like work. And it and that's where I slowly started realizing like, you know, the distinction between hobby versus passion, right? Like I don't have a passion in playing games. I like playing games, but it's not like something I want to do always. But I had the most fun when I was on my pedestal with this soliloquy about X structure and stuff. So like... You know, creating that kind of content, that that was where I had more fun. And that's when I realized, oh, that's my passion. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like all these things like, um, you know, playing games or, you know, all these little hobbies that we have. Like, I think it's important to just take a step back and understand, like, why do you like these things? And it is, yeah. is, it, is it really the medium that you like or is it the act of performing something that you're doing within the medium that you enjoy? Um, I would say like, the musician I talked to uh, in on the show, he so he is a consultant. He does music for video game companies. Um, his company does like AAA companies. He himself does a lot of casino games and social games. And I I spent the entire episode trying to get into his head so much so that I probably annoyed him. Although um, he was super nice about it and everything, but it took me about a month after I talked with him. I had no communication after 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 that. After I did a recording, I realized like it's not that he enjoys making music for games. And in fact, it's not so much so, and hopefully I'm representing him accurately here, it's not so much so that he enjoys making music itself. He loves understanding the problem and understanding the psychological emotion that comes out of creating music to hit certain like emotional cues and stuff. Yeah. He just loves that. And it took me a month to understand that. Like I had to rewatch the recording over and over again and understand like, how am I going to edit this episode into something that's a manageable story here? 
Well, that was that was his whole thing. That's why, you know, and 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 that's like a huge. Um, so for me, his understanding of why he enjoys being in music and specifically in the gaming industry helped me realize, like, you know, the medium is less important than what is actually uh, what you're really doing at the core, which is, yeah. you know, for him, it was psychologically manipulating how we emotionally respond to people. And, and, and I use the word manipulation, but uh, remove any of the negative connotation there. Yeah, like, I think that, you know, I'm not sure if it's dawned on people the amount of sort of jobs that are available in the gaming space, right? Like, I know someone who is an economist by trade, graduated and got his, like, master's degree in economics, and he now works for Blizzard full-time, just designing designing in-game economies. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, like, he just... Wow. And granted, shout-out to Phil, I love him. Uh, (laughs) Uh... you know, Blizzard got in a lot of trouble about their in-game economy, so I don't know if he did a good job. But Oh, really? Yeah, it's just... Why? Like, I mean, it, you know, you're right, Andy. It's about what he was what he was optimizing for. So Blizzard got... And this is, you know, Ubisoft and tons of companies have gotten, like, have gotten flack for this. Uh, they put a ton of microtransactions in their game. And um, Isabel, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the idea, but it's just like, you can you know, spend little bits of little bits of money to get things that make you better at the game. That was what people were mad at. Is like you can grind for hours and hours and hours to get this gun in Battlefield, or you can spend a dollar and fifty cents and have this gun from from the beginning. And and typically, you know, I feel like companies try not to like they they they'll do it for skins and things that don't have any bearing on how you like how you play the game. But Blizzard and some other companies, like, yeah, they kind of, in the eyes of the gaming community, really crossed the line when they started charging people to make, you know, to just make them better at the game, essentially. Um, he's a, literally a virtual economist, and his whole job is just to optimize, like, currency, you know, in, in a virtual platform. And to me, that is amazing. It's, <laughs> it's really great. Like, I mean, when you think about it, I was watching... Uh, there's so, I mean, just to play on your point a little bit more, I was trying to get a job at a AAA company for a while. So I spent like three, four months trying to do that. Most of the jobs that were adjacent to my, you know, my project management consulting work was being a product manager for a lot of these mobile games. And I was networking my way into it. And I was talking with someone who's at Oculus right now. And, you know, he was telling me to never, ever forget my project manager, oh, product manager hat and always think about the statistics about your key performance indicators and we talk about using words you know stop using consulting words but kpis kept coming up you know and so it's like (laughs) and there's so many jobs i mean and just think about it like the logistics right like you need data scientists for some of these things you need software integrators for some of these i mean these games are so complex now right you need mathematicians. You need, you know, in your example, DeAndre, economists, right? And then not only that, like once you're done, I know there's a million examples I could spit out here, but just moving on, once you finish developing your game, right? Marketing, selling, business development, right? Like all these things are important. Yeah, oh, that's not even, that. yeah, like vendor management. So yeah, no, like even within like AAA, right? When there's money to go around, 
Like there are so many different jobs. Like any com, like just because the medium is gaming doesn't mean there is like any less complex when it comes to the types of people that are working in these companies. You know, it's funny because you were saying like, oh, like no one cares about this shit. Like the I, I the one thing I do think is that you know probably the person who like actually came up with it like would probably really appreciate your like you know in depth analysis. I mean that's one thing that I really really appreciate about the gaming community in particular is that there's actually so many feedback loops between the company and the people who are playing the game, right? Like, you know, yeah. you actually can like get to know like the mods and like the, all of the, you know, just like the people who are actually involved in the creation of it, which I think is so cool compared to like any other industry where you consume something. You're not talking to the directors of the movies you're watching, right? But you could realistically be talking to the people who are creating the games you're playing. Yeah. And they'll right. see it. Yeah, they'll see. I mean, yeah, just, they'll see it. Yeah. The gaming yeah. community is loud, and when they don't like something, you know, it's we. You're you're exactly right. We're seeing a space where, you know, I think the example that's top of mind for tons of gamers is a game called Cyberpunk 2077, um, where like, you know, I mean, and <laughs> they released this game because they were being pressured to by the gaming community, and it's just a bag full of bugs. <laughs> and it's just it's just a software full of bugs and um yeah you know now now the company is literally just like playing trying to play catch up with all the demands that the community is making of like them to fix the game very famous recent example <laughs> well so yeah it's a blessing and a curse i guess right because yeah. if you have too much feedback loop then you can kind of like yeah and you know and then it's like who do you want to listen to because there were like a very very vocal group of people that were that would get very mad anytime they would push cyberpunk back because you know it like you know it got pushed back like three or four times it was originally supposed to come out in like 2015 or some bullshit like that and um and so they were like under a lot of pressure to release this game and then probably not the same people, but an also vocal group of people are now very mad that they released an unfinished game. (laughs) (laughs) So, and it's so funny, like you mentioned the feedback loop. So you have to be careful about the feedback loop. You have to make sure you're taking critical advice and dissecting it and understand all the different considerations before making a decision, right? So like you don't, like for any of the indie game developers out there, right? You don't want to just listen to all of your user feedback because they don't know what they're doing either, right? You have to be very careful. And Isabel, you, Isabel, you called out, like you want to listen to feedback from people that know what they're really kind of talking about, right? From from anyone who's making games. And I'm not saying like my story analysis is any of that. I'm not even close to that level of really understanding what's going on there. But you have to make sure you don't listen to everyone because not everyone has been trained and, you know, and learned and gone through the experiences of what makes something good versus bad. Right. And the cyberpunk example, right? Like, I mean, I wasn't, I kept a close ear on it. And when I read the, like the top comments on many of the Reddit posts about the whole cyberpunk issues, half of them just from my own business understanding they don't make any sense, right? Like, I'm, there are very, very good answers and good comments that understand the situation and they talk about things, right? But the majority of stuff I was reading was like, oh, there was just a, you know, there was a bunch of executives that just kept pushing the developers to make the game, to push the game out early. No, that's not the case at all. Like, no one's gonna, 
there's not like a guy in a suit walking behind you, breathing your neck, saying you re- press the release button right now, right? Like, yeah. No, there's no. There are there's managers, there's producers that are sitting there and saying, if I don't release this game right now, I'm going to have to fire a hundred people tomorrow, right? Like it's like that's just one area that I'm close to, right? It's like because I'm a project manager, but there's like a million other considerations there, right? And but no one's talking about that kind of stuff. Like they just want to kind of point point a finger at something easy um, based on what they understand from the media, and and so it's it's like you have to understand like if you're taking feedback from people, right? It needs to be very objective feedback, and it has to be an edge. It has to be educated feedback too. Um, get a ga- good gauge, right? Like that, what people are saying on Reddit and all over the place. That is good feedback still, right? But understand how to react based on feed on that feedback. And not, I'm not saying I'm. I would respond better than you know, uh, uh, CD Project Red, right? CD Project yeah, Red, Project, yeah. CD Project Red, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying I'm. I'd make a better decision than they did. I just, I feel for them. <laughs> um, so I understand, but I think it's important to make sure you have, you get feedback from the right places. Um, well, get feedback from everywhere, right? All this Reddit feedback is good feedback, but understand how to disseminate it. Um, the other thing is, I wanted to call out. The developers are always listening, always watching, right? And so that's one thing that's really amazing about the internet that I feel like we take for granted. Like there's these two very closely related things that happen because of the internet. And it, and it's discoverability and um, spreadability. So, you know, when we, talk, we mentioned my story analysis thing, right? Like the internet, I mean, if I took the right steps, the internet would have helped me make that discoverable for people that I might not ever have reached before. Um, and then that helps with spreadability. And so I'll talk about someone else's example here. Uh, I spoke with a game developer who made YouTube videos. And so he was just, he, he loved using this one program that helps make games. It's called Unity 3D. Um, it's free to use, it's easy to get into. And it's one of those easy to learn, hard to master kind of things. Um, and so he was just making games with that thing, like all throughout high school, all throughout college. And then he started making videos about like, oh, you know what? I like I like this one thing in Super Mario Odyssey. How would I create that for myself if I wanted to? And so he did that. He made his own version of it. And then he made a YouTube video about it. And because it was... Um, you know, he did the work to make sure it was SEO optimized. He did his... He shared it on Reddit. Um, but because it was like great content um, that people were looking for, um, the internet helped him spread it. And then the discovery po- discoverability portion, I mean, these things are tightly connected, but like the company, Unity Technologies, saw the video. And they saw that he did this for six months. He made like 30 videos. And they're like, come work for us. Like there was like barely an interview. They just asked him like, dude, Come live, I mean, like, so they're in, the company was in Denmark and he was living in Brazil. So they're like, we will move you from Brazil over to Denmark if you do the same thing you're doing right now for us on an official capacity. And he's like, let's go, let's do it. And he moved to, um, he moved to Copenhagen. And that's, that's how he found his unique career path. So the internet is just so powerful when you utilize it in the way that it's, I don't know if you want to say the way it's meant to be used, but at least... If you take advantage of how it empowers us to share our creative work, it can lead to some really life-changing things. Yeah. I mean, I think that 
when you say like the way it's meant to be used, I feel like right now we are in a critical moment where we're trying to like there's like, you know, early Internet where everything was like amazing and democratized. And like there were there were not as many of these gatekeepers of the Internet. Right. Like the Facebooks and the Amazons, whatever. Right. But now I think we're at the point we're trying to figure out how can we maintain that early Internet vibe of like, you know, democracy, creativity, like all of that, like, you know, that was going on without having these like, you know, intense corporate powers like coming in and taking it over. It's tough. Right? It, I I haven't figured out, a, I mean, it's not like I'm the biggest problem solver here, but like it's it's a catch-22 situation, right? It's, you have so many factors in play that it's just so hard to find a one-size-fits-all solution. I don't think it's a thing, I think some of the problems that we've been dealing with over the last couple of years, honestly, I feel like the next time that we can get closer to actually really solving these issues is really relying heavily on AI to help us, right? Interesting, why? Because at this point, there's just way too many considerations from there's the political issues, there's system, there's usability issues, there's happiness utility, right? Like, and then not only that, these companies, um, they have their own workers, right? There's only, so yes, they make so much money, but they pay out a lot of money too to pay people to do this stuff. I mean, Facebook, everyone still uses like, for the most part, from what I understand, um, based on the information that's that I've come across, like they still use humans to moderate their stuff, right? Right. And, and so like AI would help, I think. And that I feel like that's where it would get a little bit better. But then again, I say that now, but if you take a half step back, you have to understand who's building that AI. Well, who's building it and also what data are you feeding it, right? Because if you're just feeding it racist shit, you're going to get racist shit, right? So even if you're, right, like all of the same, it's going to just continue to cause a lot of the same problems that are already being caused by having humans doing it, right? So like you have to really think about how are you going to structure that, you know, AI solution so that you don't just, you know, recreate a lot of the same problems you already have. And it's like really unclear how to solve a lot of the problems that people have with Facebook, right? Because, you know, people propose like, okay, let's break them up, right? As the policy solution to a lot of the Facebook ills. Like a lot, but I mean, the, but there's also a very reasonable argument to be made that like the reason why Facebook can moderate at the scale that it is, is because it's as big as it is, right? And if you broke them up, like they probably would be less enabled to do a lot of like the moderation and a lot of the like kind of security stuff that they're working on because like, you know, you just have a, would have a smaller budget to do those things. Uh, yeah. And then my mind wander when, while you say that my mind wanders to like, well, then should we look into antitrust? Right. And like, uh, I mean, not just like um, breaking them, not just breaking Facebook up, but enabling, you know, allowing more opportunities for smaller social media sites and smaller, you know, smaller companies to, you know, become. I do think big. that's definitely something that needs to happen because like, so right now, anytime there's a, even a remotely, you know, competitor that's even remotely <laughs> close to trying to like, you know, try to threaten them, they can just like copy their shit or litigate them out of existence. Well, like the, the thing is like, this is a tricky thing too. These companies start in, you know, whether it's Silicon Valley, whether it's Austin, whether it's maybe in New York sometimes or, or Seattle, right? All these technology hubs, right? Everyone and their dog wants a startup and what's their exit strategy? 
their exit strategy is to be acquired by Facebook or Google or Amazon, right. any of the yeah. paying companies, right? Like that's their exit. That's half the problem, I think. <laughs> like it's like that's the thing. Like Facebook is so big, not just because. Well, I'll say it this way: Facebook is as large as it is because of their very smart acquisitions. Same with Google. Same with Amazon. Right? Like. Like companies are not just their own employees making their own stuff all the time. It's strategic acquisitions, and then, then you know that's closer to my area. Although I, I I never really worked in it, but management consulting, right? How do you combine two companies together? That's big money too. So, um, you know, if if we want to talk about like breaking these companies up or thinking about antitrust, then I think you know have to look at startup culture too. And then you have to understand like all the different actionalities there too, right? That happen if you're changing the economics of startup culture and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know if people want to go that deep into the rabbit hole. I mean, I, it's funny because like any time, well, a lot of time when I imagine like, okay, if I could just do anything I want with all my friends, like that's the main reason why I'm trying to like leave my job and start a business is because the number one thing I want to do is just be able to like hire people I like and like build something cool with them. And like from that perspective, it sounds like being like, for example, part of a game, you know, an indie game studio sounds like the best job ever right because like you're just like like creating this like world together it sounds super fun but then when you look at like the actual lived experience of people who are often like working at these you know design houses and these <laughs> yeah. game studios Long like hours fucking terrible it's like terrible. practices yeah yeah and they're working these crazy hours like there's all kinds of like you'd think that it would be like suit like a, an incredibly awesome work environment just based on everything else about it but then like you know they fall prey to the exact same things that like you know other you know companies all over the place do right yep for sure and, and you hear you hear just stories that you know the big ones of like mismanagement and all that kind of stuff like that's a problem like no matter what you still have the human element in this right like i like to imagine i would be a good studio director like owning the studio and you know being the one that hires and manages all the de uh, developers and producers and artists and all that right like i like to think that and i have experience in managing big teams like m when i was in consulting i was managing 200 people at one point so like i'm like yeah i'm a you know i'll tell myself oh, i'm a really good leader right um but at, at the end of the day, you know, especially in the indie game studios, like it's passions, it's people's interests, it's people's hobbies. And a lot of the work they're that they're doing is like, this is my baby. Like, I don't want someone who doesn't touch this thing, you know, eight hours a day, like I do telling me what to do, you know? Yeah. And, and so that, that's one side of it. And then there's the management side of it. And then there's the pressures of running a studio, making money, how do you keep your employees? How do you make sure you make a game that sells? And how do you keep all the trolls off of your asses on Reddit? You know, <laughs> like you got to think through all that stuff. Yeah. And it's and, people like that, that likely don't have like formal management training. Yeah. They're I, just like wreaking havoc on their employees. Yeah. I, I will tell you like the reason why I came up with, so uh, my st studio stuff is all under the name Sheba Break, but I was running it before under something called Indie 9 to 5. Um, and that was like my, cons that was when I was thinking I can consult to video game companies. Um, it's still something I want to explore, um, if the opportunity shows itself, but 
The reason I came up with that is because when I was spending a lot of time with independent developers, there was a huge gap in understanding how to manage time, how to manage people, how to manage resources. I mean, these are all resources, right? But, um, you know, there's these huge gaps. So I'm like, well, I know how to do these things, even though I haven't worked in the game industry. I'll just learn how to apply this in the game industry and maybe I can, you know, help out and add some value here. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of the concept because you still see it, right? You see mismanagement a lot. I mean, even the simple act of giving people feedback, right? Like, like telling someone that their work needs to be better is a fine art. In the game industry, I think is based on what I've seen. Again, this is all anecdotal. The people I've come across that have given me feedback and given other people feedback too. Like I hear so many horror stories of this person flat out said my game sucks and I should give up. Like, no, you don't tell someone that, man. Like, you can say uh, the one thing I would, the one thing I stick by when I give people feedback is uh, separate the work from the person. So it's like it's not it's not like, dude, you suck. It's this work could be better, right? And then be objective about it. But no, that's not something. I've come across very often in the indie games. Oh my god. The one the one characteristic that I like think is most indicative of, you know, of, of someone's character, especially in the workplace, is how good they are at taking criticism. <laughs> Cause especially like with games, it's so personal, right? It is like your it's like, you know, it is something that you kind of like birthed out of your imagination. Right? I mean, you hit the nail. Uh, you hit the nail on the head, right? People are so, especially in the gaming industry, right? It's it's like, it is what they think is their passions, right? Whether it is or not, you know, they're still on that journey of discovery, but, you know, it's their babies, right? Can you imagine, like, that's the thing, like, especially, it's easy when it's art. Like, let's use an artist for an example. Someone making, like, a 3D model, like, that is laborious work. Like, you are sitting there staring at a screen until your eyeballs are bloodshot it's crazy and then someone comes in and says you know this isn't enough yeah there's gonna be feelings that are hurt and that's the thing like Isabel you mentioned like it's important for people to take feedback I also think it's really important on the other side too like I absolutely agree with you but I also think that good leaders need to understand how to give good feedback and it's also understanding like not just give constructive feedback but giving them feedback that one balances between is there something actionable here that's not going to hurt their feelings? And is it going to empower them to actually do better next time? You know, and, and I think that's that's something that, I mean, I got to be honest, like that's not just a game industry thing. That's everywhere, right? Like the leaders I was, I, the leaders I was training back during my consulting days, like they didn't understand that either. I, there are so many times where I had to give feedback on giving feedback to a lot of the consultants I worked with because people just like pointing fingers <laughs> for some reason in that world. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, you know, taking, understanding the feedback is super important and acting upon that feedback is super important, but also understanding how to give feedback is super important too, I think. Andy, what's one of your favorite indie games in recent memory? I guess, I guess you can strike the recent memory part of that statement. Just what's one of your favorite indie games? I, so, so it's tricky because I don't play that many games. It's this weird situation. You just like to talk about 
Yeah, because like consulting was like 60, 70 hour week job. So I didn't have time <laughs> to play games. So I play like one game a year, pretty much. And I have to make very, like I had to put together a chart as like a, some sort of like pro con chart or some sort of dart chart to make sure I understand what game I want to choose for that year. Um, so indie games, I haven't played that many. I did um, experience Undertale though. And what's what I enjoy about Undertale is that that really is like a passion project. You can tell. Um, I will say if I put my project manager hat on, I would say this was done very inefficiently, probably based on like some of the literature and some of the stories that are out there. It's like a one, but I mean, it's exactly why, what makes it so good probably drives a project manager crazy, right? It is like literally a love story for video games. It feels like to me when I play it, right? Like, one guy did the story, did the programming, did the art, did the music, did all the design, and then worked. I forgot whether he worked with a publisher or, uh, or he just. Um, well, the developer was Toby Fox. I, I, I don't know if I forgot whether he worked with a publisher or he self-published, but <clears throat> that is like a labor of love, and and it and it shows. If there's something you really want to pursue, like take your time, be patient, do it well, and do it right. Um, I know we have some conversations, we had some threads going around about like content over quality and production value. Well, I think Undertale kind of really embodies that a lot, right? Like production value wise, you could argue, I mean, it's not up to par with a AAA studio, of course not, but it is, you know, polished in its own way, um, in areas that where it counts. So, and, and that's what makes it so special, I think. Uh, why don't you take some time to plug your your stuff, your platforms? So, uh, like I said, I'm hosting a show, uh, producing a show called Life in Games. It's a, a podcast about uh, sharing the journeys of unique people who have created their own careers in the gaming industry. Um, we are in the middle of the first season, and the, finish, the season should finish up uh, probably February. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, uh, you can follow updates on the show at on Twitter at Shiba Break because everyone deserves a break with a Shiba. Um, and you can find the show on Spotify, every, anywhere that you're listening to, Spotify, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all those places. And also the show's on YouTube as well under, under Life in Games. Great. And as always, if you liked what you heard, you can find us at I'm the Villain Pod. That's our Twitter. That's our Gmail. That's our Instagram. Otherwise, bye everyone.